0: All right, yes, hello, fellas, Pasqua. happy Easter to all the listeners and welcome to episode 27 of Long Ball Football. We had a week off for the international break, but just like the Liga Nosh, we're back with a bang with some fantastic games to discuss and a special in-depth focus on Braga coming up at the end of the show. But before we get ahead of ourselves, we haven't even said hello. So of course, you're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How you been, Barney? How's things? Yeah, very good.
1: International break was alright, wasn't it? Not as interesting as <laughs> the league games. I mean, I watched the England games, of course. When it came to the under 21s I actually um I actually became quite invested in Portugal because I'm having like you know very few players in the league.
0: Well, it's quite funny following uh, the international break. Now that we're quite uh, heavily involved in Portuguese football Twitter, because obviously we see everything from the Portuguese fans' point of view. I mean, we've never pretended anything other than to be massive England fans at international level. So for our from our perspective, the under twenty one. Tournament was pretty awful to watch. I was really looking forward to watching somebody on played. Credit to Portugal because they had a great tournament under 21s. England seniors did all right. Three wins from three is not too bad, but I think the under 21s put a bit of a, down, put a bit of a down on it for me.
1: I wanted to touch on the under 21s because the sort of talk of afterwards, some journalists, some pundits, it was to be honest, it was the Guardian football. Weekly podcast that I heard, and they just casually threw away this comment that England's under twenty one squad was was miles better than Portugal. They should be dip beating them for sure. I mean, we were texting during the game. We were sort of debating about what squad was better. But when I heard that comment, it made me really, really reevaluate my stance, man, because it was just so dismissive. And I couldn't believe that. Yeah, and it just it just makes me feel. Which I, I I bet around the world a lot of people think this that. There's always arrogant English fan stuff, mm. you know, where we just, we've got the best league in the world. We've got like this elite national team who deserves to be in the final of every tournament, even yeah. though they're, they're not very good. And
0: Yeah, that was, a, that was a, I found that comment really bizarre. Look, obviously, Guardian Football Weekly is an excellent podcast with some excellent journalists, you know, much more qualified than us to talk about football. But I mean, I actually thought that the Portugal and England teams were very even in terms mm. of quality of players. But arguably, you could say that maybe the Portuguese players were getting slightly more minutes at their clubs. Slightly, because in fairness, a lot of the players in the England team were getting decent minutes at their clubs. But it was just really disappointing then to look at those two teams who on paper are at a very similar level and see Portugal do so well with that group of players. And England do so badly with a group of players with some Premier League regulars in there. So yeah, pretty bittersweet. I did enjoy watching the Portugal Under-21s though, because obviously, as we discussed a couple of podcasts ago, there's more Liga Nosh representation in the Under-21 squad than there is in the senior squad. So for us, there's a bit more interest there. Please for them to do so. Well, I think they're not favourites for the competition, but to go pretty far in, in that Under-21 Euros, they're, they're going to be one of the main challenges. The less said about A.D. Bouffoyed as manager of England Under-21s, the better. Anyway, let's not talk about that anymore. It's putting me in a bad mood. Let's get back on some more positive news. The Liga Nosh is back. And there's 10 games to go, Bonnie. It feels crazy that we've been doing this podcast all the season. And now we're looking at the final stretch in the Liga Nosh.
1: Yeah, I know. It's come around quickly, hasn't it? And how tight it's been, the bottom half of the table in particular. And that, you know... This is where it's getting real crunch time, you know. We've we've been, we've been saying there's been
0: six-pointers for the last two months, it feels, but now <laughs> it really is six-pointers. <laughs> no, absolutely. And look, there's some massive games happening this week. Uh, we'll be up front from the start. We're recording this podcast on Monday afternoon, so we won't be able to cover the Monday night games with Benfica and Sporting and Braga. But some fantastic games have already happened this weekend that we're going to dig into in just a second. But let's not forget that there's an also another huge game coming up on Wednesday. And that is Porto versus Chelsea. Porto in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Barney, can they do it again? Big loss for Chelsea at the weekend now, but...
1: They're, Massive
0: they're, loss. Their Big Sam are works his magic.
1: I think Contra is going to be, <laughs> <laughs> be uh, taking a few <laughs> pointers from People. Big Sam, giving him a call maybe. Absolutely. I mean, I, Absolutely. <laughs> I mean it was interesting to see what they could learn from that game. Because I did actually watch the highlights because I, was, I saw them, what was it 5-2, man? Incredible Because that's the thing, two girls' defence has been so solid up until this point. And I don't know if the fact, I mean, they went down to 10 men, obviously, and Rudiger and Christians are going to come back into that back line That You know, they've been important players for Tuchel. I think the Mountain and Havertz didn't start either. So, you know, it's going to be a different team to that team that played West Brom. But what was interesting, the big thing for me was that that ex-sporting man, Mateus Pereira, in that number 10 role, Seems to have a lot of joy, in that, you know, even before Chelsea went down to 10 men. And it makes me think, you know, with Toremi being out, whether Cell might look to play with a number 10, perhaps Otavio and you have Corona Diaz on the wings. I don't know. It just, yeah, that, that looked like it could be a, a good little move there.
0: Yeah, very interesting proposition. And the one thing that I said, you know, we discussed this fixture in more detail when it, when it was announced and we're not going to speculate too much because all we can do is guess at what is actually going to happen on Wednesday. But the one thing that I will just reiterate is that there is a win in this game for Porto over two legs. You know, it's definitely possible for them. There's Chelsea are not some superhuman team that are impossible to get past. Um, I don't think they offer too much more than Juventus did. So I don't think there's much more to be scared about. And look, who knows what's going to happen? Sergio Constellano loves the Champions League and he loves setting his team up to win those games.
1: Five goals, because five goals in one game, man.
0: Ported at home. <laughs> Wouldn't happen to Sergio Cortasel. I've just got this image now of Sergio Costa sitting down the Porto team with a picture of Big Sam on the <laughs> on the team whiteboard <laughs> Right, well, on to the games of the week and there is no place else we can start than with Vittorio versus Tondela, a game that Vittorio lost 2-1 at home and which led to the sacking of manager Joao Henriquez that was announced the evening after the game finished and he will be replaced by Bino, a coach who was already at the club. I mean, neither of us are surprised after the rudder form that they've been on and especially this result, which was not just a bad result, but also a bad performance. A game that frustrated us both immensely, and it was a game that they badly needed to win if they were going to resurrect any kind of form from this pretty disappointing season that they've that they've had so far. The bad vibes for me Barney, started an hour before kickoff when the lineups were announced, and we saw no Marcus Edwards again, no Ricardo Quaresma again, and no Issa Suleiman again. Now obviously, Issa was less of a surprise. I think where obviously proudly banging the drum for him to start, him to play more and with Moomin suspended I thought that would be a good opportunity for him to come in and get some minutes but it wasn't to be John went for the 18-year-old centre-back Andre Amaro instead. A bold decision but to his credit Amaro had played well in his debut just a week or so before that. Edwards and Kresma however I mean it beggars belief at this point why not starting. I'm not even going to bother trying to speculate what it is that means that they don't start but the lineup didn't feel me with confidence to start. I will just say, though, as much as we criticise um, Joao Henriquez's his team selections many times, we have done before, I didn't h- hate the fact that he chose three Victoria Youth Academy players to start this game. I thought, he went with Andre Almeida, who we've seen many times this season. We've raved about in this podcast. He's good. Amaro, the centre-back that I just mentioned. And also, he went for a young 18-year-old left-back, Heldasar. He's been another one who's performed well for the B team, uh, apparently, this season. And left-back is a spot that's been relatively open in that side so far. I don't think anyone is really convinced in that spot so far this season. So I wasn't mad at that, but it was just the manner in which they went about the game. I thought the first half was abysmal, another poor, poor performance. They were massively outplayed by Tondela. I think they had two shots on target, one of which, to be fair, was a great header by a which dug them out of a massive hole. They went into the second half at 1-1. I thought they even improved slightly in the second half as well. but Tondela were a much better team on the night. Man of the match, Mario Gonzalez, the Spanish striker with two goals, two lovely finishes. Uh, and in the end, it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. We say goodbye to Israel Henriquez and we draw the line under what has been a very disappointing chapter in uh, Victoria's modern history.
1: I, I do actually want to give an, a different opinion on what you were saying about the youngsters. Because I think when a manager starts looking to the youth academy, I think there's it's one of, one of two ways. The first way is when perhaps Amory was a prime example. You've got um, a team playing well with uh, experienced leaders in that team and he peppers these youngsters in to add a little bit more dynamism and it was it, a nice blend, a nice balance. But what I think we had here was Jean-Henriques, is a manager who's lost the dressing room and the senior players he felt couldn't rely on and then he's resorting to bringing these youngsters in. And I, I agree with you. I think Amory has been looked good, but Albert, he took him off at halftime, like just after halftime. And like, it was these sort of weird decisions that I just think you know the right was on the wall I mean we've gone on and on again about his team selection but that that's the the biggest thing man you know it's almost like he was going against the what the club had the vision of you know they cresmer is the marquee signing this uh, this summer Edwards handed a new deal in January and sort of go against those statements and I think he just lost it I mean what he's got nine he had nine wins from 25 games. Sorry, I'm really. I suppose that I'm quite upset about because you know when I was telling you when we started this podcast, this was the one team, the one team I was most excited about. We knew about Sporting Porto, Benfica, we knew about them, but there was this. This was this Victoria Guimarães was this this sort of all, almost unknown. You know, we knew they had Edwards, the signing of charisma, and they're always sort of teetering on the edge of a Europa League spot you know that they were the most exciting team for me and it just it's just completely failed to deliver I think he's had the resources there I think Andre Almeida is probably the only decent thing he's done in sort of bringing him through well I I think that he's been an Amaro to be fair I think he's going to have a good future ahead of him but yeah it's I don't usually like to see a manager get sacked but for me this I can I'm I'm excited for the for so them just improving man just being a
0: bad team <laughs> very diplomatically put I like that no I totally get what you mean and I think it would be good to sort of look back on Joao Henriquez's reign as a whole and it's interesting how the dynamic changed because when he came in the, the dynamic was very much like he was a safe pair of hands after the whole debacle that Tiago was that really went badly they brought this guy in to steady the ship you know to to calm everything down and, and to to build them back up. He did the calming down, he did the steady end of the ship, but he never elevated that team. You know, I saw a few interesting comments on Twitter. Obviously, a lot of angry Victoria fans out there. But one of the more interesting comments that I saw was someone saying, what player in that squad has he improved? Now, you said just then Andre Almeida, and that actually was the one player that I thought of as well. I think he's the one player you can say Jamal Henriquez has improved other than that. The squad just hasn't gone anywhere it's a good squad but it's also a strange squad so there is for me an element of sympathy there because this is not a traditional portuguese squad there's a lot of foreign players you look at some of the young players that they brought in uh Noel home Lyle foster these are players who've come in from abroad who need settling in the free english lads you've got isa Suleiman in there you've got jacob maddox and they're all going to need settling in uh, there's a lot of non-portuguese players in there there's a lot of players that need to be helped to adjust i suppose and it wasn't an easy job but I don't think he did well enough with the resources he had, he had, as you say, and ultimately, neither of us are surprised to see him go. I think the Victoria board has a big choice to make now because that's two unsuccessful managers that they've employed in a role. And I'll just say, this, there's a lot of teams at the bottom of the table employing good managers now. So I feel like, Vittoria have missed out on a number of potential good managers that they could have got. I mean, just look at the job that Eva Vieira is doing with Famalicão. I mean, I know Eva Vieira has history with Vittoria, but I'm just using that as an example to say these were the type of managers that you could have brought in. This was the impact that it was possible to have with a new manager and he hasn't done it. So I'm not surprised that he's gone. I'm not going to celebrate him leaving, but uh, I think Vittoria need to look ahead. They needed the change and it was ultimately the right thing to do. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of their season pans out. Just to go into a bit of their recent form, Barney, that was four losses in a row. They won one time in the last 10 games. And they're now as many points away from Passos in fifth as they are ahead of Beysad in 14th. Uh, That's nine points difference. So yeah, really, really, really not good enough. Let's go back to the game though, Barney. Let's talk about Tondela. Excellent performance. I mentioned him earlier. Mario Gonzalez, man of the match. Two wonderful finishes, two great goals. And the thing that impressed me about them was that they were just so positive from the beginning they completely dominated the first half Victoria came back a bit in the second half but they soaked it up they got the second goal uh, and it was a really professional performance and a vital three points again let's not forget this is a team that you can associate with that relegation battle even if they've done well enough to drag themselves out of it
1: yeah definitely I think you're right to highlight Mario Gonzalez I think he's been probably all season he's impressed he's up to nine goals now it will be interesting to see if they can, because he's from Villa, isn't he? So it'd be interesting if they can make that permanent, because he's he's done well for them. They're at a point, aren't they, where I feel at the beginning of the season it was so hard to say what sort of you know they looked like they could be in trouble, to be honest. But now they seem a bit more confident, a bit more cohesive, and they have already deserved this win, man. I mean, it's it, as much criticizing Victoria. Victoria still played okay, and they they look safe for me now. Today, I think it's I think they're they're one of these ones we can say have sort of pulled themselves out of that relegation battle, and. and cement himself in the table, mid-table.
0: Yeah, and it's good to see Tondello in a position where they can be comfortable for the rest of the season. You expect just a question for you, Barney, on Bino and this Victoria squad. What do you think they will have to do for the rest of the season? Nine games left now, then nine points off fifth. What is their objective for those next nine games? He needs to for me, he needs to sort of the, the, the attacker. By that I mean he needs to settle on
1: a sort of front three. Whether and I think Kresma or Edwards has to come in there. I think mean, credit to Rashina. I feel like he's played his way into that starting. Eleven, so you know, it's not a question of Edwards and on both coming in. I think you know they're gonna to have to fight for that one, that one free spot. The defence is the big one for me, but I'm I'm not a fan of George um, Fernandez. I know he seems to be like the favoured one out of the the centre backs that are there, but for me, I, I thought it was a fault for this first Korsman as he dropped out way too quick. To go back to Suna, I think this is hopefully could be a nice opportunity if the manager does fancy him. You know, we see it before when you manage to come and you say, right, you're my guys now. I think they've got to do it. They need to sell it and. Because it's, it's the defence that's leaking the goals at the end of the day. and
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, at this point for me, with nine games left, it's just about damage limitation. You know, Santa Clara breathing down their legs. They just want to make sure they don't give them, you know, the time of day. They want to keep at least where they are now, get a bit of momentum going, get a bit of confidence back in the squad because, you know, that team must be absolutely rock bottom at the moment. So damage limitation very much the order of the day. Well, let's move on to more positive uh, games Barney and one of the most remarkable scorelines of the season so far in my opinion was CD Nacional 1 ends 5 two goals from man of the moment Beto helped ends to one of their biggest ever Premier League wins and what a game this was Barney
1: such a good game and I think that's what's really been my takeaway from Portemans recently is these some really convincing wins, you know, four one against Gil Vicente not a lot too long ago, three no against Tondeo, who we just talked about. And it's the confidence they play with as well, particularly from their front three. I think Elton Boyle Morty was fantastic on the wing. I mean, I think he's been a little on the road this season, to be honest. I think he's been fantastic, brilliant. And you've got Luquinas, uh, who I don't know much about him, but he's so. First of all, he's, he's so small, isn't he? I don't know. There there's a bit where the ref <laughs> sort of came up to him, and he looks like two foot smaller than the ref. He's, he's top. He's top four in the league and key passes a game, and he was brilliant in this game. He's come up from the under twenty three club this season, only twenty years old. Definitely one to keep an eye on. But uh, we're, we're gonna get into better in a sec, I think. But the, the last player that really impressed was um, Fad Mufi, that played right wing back. Two assists in this game, and that right hand side with Beramossi was just probably Portman as his best outlet.
0: Yeah, I picked out Mufi as well as, as one of my favourite players in this game. He's now their biggest contributor of assists this season so far. That was his fifth assist of the season with the two he got. tonight. I thought he had a, did a fantastic job. It was interesting to hear um, the men's manager after the game comparing Luquinha to both Deco and Ottavio. Very Ooh, decent comparison. <laughs> Very decent comparisons to mention, but I think I want to let you loose on on Beto Barney. The guy's been fantastic. Ninth goal of the season, linked with some big money moves to big clubs in this league. So it will be interesting to see what happens in the summer. But I'm a massive fan. I love, I love, I love the way he plays. I love his story. Uh, yeah, I think we're both big Beto fans on this podcast. Yeah, I think wasn't there an
1: article recently comparing to Eric Harland, which is you know <laughs> we've compared Adoltsarap to Zidane, so that's something we can definitely get behind. <laughs> <laughs> but for, you know, for me though his, his first finish in this game um was almost ibrahimovic like it's sort a of kung fu style you know that big build but still able to get his foot into like a, a quite an awkward position and that's what i really like about him. yeah you mentioned this story you know what was he playing in tier three like a couple of seasons ago like unbelievable and I, actually i guess this is palo, credit to palo sergio the manager because it's a real confidence that he plays with you know like he's He's not afraid to shoot, which is a big thing for me. You know, he's you know you might you might miss a few shots, but he's you know he he's not afraid. Like as a striker, you've got to like take like have a go at least. You know, don't shoot, don't score. But yeah, he's he's got a bit of everything, hasn't he? He's he's got the build, he's got the strength, but he's got a bit of pace. The last few games, it's just been the the ingenuity of his his finishing. It's it, you know you don't you don't usually expect to see some of that build take take those chances, and he he does. I'd like to see him stay in the league. I think sporting a rumor of him, but
0: wherever he goes, I want him to be the main man. That's for sure. I couldn't agree more on that point. Uh, And just to look at the other end of the spectrum, Barney, CD Nacional, absolute disaster of a first game in charge for Manuel Machado, the man brought in to save their season, pretty much the worst possible start uh, to his tenure. I say it's his first game, it's his third spell in charge as a club, so he's got history with them, but it was the first game of this current spell. You would have wanted some signs of positivity, at least for the rest of the season. C.D. and now are one of a couple of teams who haven't really shown any signs of getting out of the relegation zone this season, Ferenc being the other one for me, sadly. Uh, so you'd really wanted some kind of positivity, but that result will be the absolute opposite of what they wanted. And those players will be at rock bottom after this result.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I had a few questions about the team selection. I don't know why Koziela didn't start because he's been one of the more creative players recently. But to ship five goals the way they did, I mean, I, I, when I was watching the game, there's points where it looked like, you know, they just left the two centre-backs and like the full-backs, you got Kalindi and um and the left-back just seems to leave the two centre-backs by himself and they got caught a few times like that. Um, I I, I do really, really worry for them all, But I think it's there's no one in that team you can see them pulling them out of this relegation. You know, I... Brian Rush had a decent goal in this game, but you know when you're five, you're four or five goals down, it doesn't really matter, does it? I just, yeah, for me, for me, they're they're the ones to. What was it five losses in a row? It's mm. not not looking good at all.
0: Very worrying times for CD and SCO now. Let's just touch on one of those other teams that I alluded to, Barney. One of those teams previously uh, in a relegation battle and who now seem to be completely inspired by a new manager. Of course, I'm talking about Famalicão under Evo Vieira, and it was another incredible result as they beat Passos 2-0. I have got no idea what is going on at Fama cow and what is Evo Vieira feeding those players because they are absolutely transformed. He's been in charge for three games and in that time he's had a 2-2 draw with Braga which they were unlucky not to win by the way. Braga got a very lucky penalty in that game. A 4-0 win against Maritimo and now this 2-0 win against a Passos team who have been one of the revelations of this season. Uh, and it's just an incredible, remarkable job that Evo Vieira is doing there. Family Cow absolutely dominate from the start. They played on the front foot, dominated possession. They had more shots and chances. Passos had absolutely no answer to the way Family Cow were playing. And I'm going to give you the stats, Barney. Family Cow with eight shots on target, Passos with one. Family Cow with 18 shots in total, Passos with three. And Cow had more possession and more corners. It was a totally dominant performance. The transformation from the desolate team that we were watching just a matter of weeks ago is astounding. Absolutely, man. I think you know you mentioned how well Passos Ferrer have been doing
1: recently. But a lot of these sort of one-on-one battles that um, cow just won, I thought Vítor had you know kept helder quiet, who's been one of Passos' more creative players. And then you look at the family cars, like um Heriberto, Harry Robocha and Fonseca just didn't have any answers really. I felt, and that was what's so impressive. They just they won their battles, each an individual player, and it's a real conference thing with this team. I feel. I think now they've got this new manager, they've got a sort of a, a better style than what they were playing. Uh, it, they're just gonna go strength for strength for me. And it's just, what's a real shame, about it is that you know having done so well last season. If this had been in the beginning of the season, you know, who knows where they could end, could have ended up in the table because that squad, you know, the now these players are playing. You
0: know, this so, squad is so exciting. I thought the exact same thing as I watched the game. And the thought that came across my mind was that if they played like this all season, they'd be higher than Passos in the table. And it was actually quite a damaging result for Passos, Barney, for me, because if Braga win against Ferenc tonight, Uh, which we expect them to, they'll be nine points behind Braga. So forgive us for not covering those games. We mentioned that at the beginning of the show, but there is definitely a sense of disappointment there at this key part of the season with nine games left to go that they're not slightly closer to that top four pack. They're not really close enough to give themselves a kind of dream of getting into the top four, but Maybe I'm being far too harsh. A fifth place finish for a team like Passos Ferreira, a team of their size, is still a fantastic result if they can hold on to it. Of course. Well, another interesting game from the week, Barney Porto versus Santa Clara. Uh, another game that I predicted not only the scoreline in advance, but also exactly how the game would go. Porto scraping past a very decent Santa Clara team, two-one. Wonderful late header from Tony Martinez. I think we both had a little smile on our face when we saw that going. We're happy for Tony. Uh, but what's your thoughts on the game, Barney? because for me, I actually think it could have gone either way with the game 1-1 going into the last five minutes.
1: The thing I was most interested in was sort of seeing how Conscious dealt with, um, you know, a few forced rotations, but then there's a, a, a few inclusions as well that sort of, I wasn't sure about. I mean, the big were with and Member and Sanusi, all rested off the international G. I I think what Sanusi had a knock and member as well wasn't risk, but Corona was just for fatigue reasons. But with the championship around the corner, I, I I didn't understand why um, Pepe is such a big risk. You know, you absolutely need him for the Chelsea game. You know, you've got Diego Lake came in, but Manang Sarr could have been in there. And uh, I, I could only guess that he was rested having played in the B team in the week, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, he was parachuted into the B team to uh, rescue their season in, in that game against Mafra. By the way, that's that completely disgraceful for me. I can't, yeah, <laughs> I we, me.
1: They should be allowed to do it, man.
0: We, we wanted to mention this, didn't we? Because we both, there was a interesting kind of it, it was it was going around on Twitter that Porto B, who were very close to the bottom of the table in the second division, were going to basically parachute in some of the senior players to come and save their season. Ever Nilsson, Carassa, Malang and and um, Barrow, the winger, came into play for them and surprise, surprise, they won the game 4-0 uh, with Eva Nilsson and Carassa both getting onto the score sheet, as well as one of Sergio Contesau's other sons, not Chico. And oh, really? English and Englishman Danny Loader, so we were pleased to see that. But yeah, we had a chat at the time. I was just thinking it's bizarre that these B teams can just bring in senior players whenever they feel like it to dig them out of trouble. I mean, to, to, let's go back to Santa Clara. I thought, you know,
1: I always thought this was going to be a really tough game. Like you, I thought they played really well against Sporting recently. That they, that perhaps unlucky to have lost that, and they definitely were one of the most consistent teams in the league for me. I, uh, they were just really well organized, weren't they? And you know, Morita or Nene, those defensive midfielders were. Drop into that back line and fill the gaps, um, and that whole back line To be honest, I mean their centre backs Villanova and Afonso look really, really solid, and they just made it so difficult for Porto, didn't they? And it, I didn't, I didn't really feel like any either team was going to score. And then the, you know, both those penalties came along. It's twelve goals for Sergio Oliveira uh, this season, and I, I just assumed they were all penalties, but only five of them are. To be fair mm-hmm. to the guy, I think so, he's like, missed he's, a couple of penalties this season. So yeah, he? yeah, yeah. I mean. Brilliant numbers for him, like so important for the port of the season. And then Carlos Jr. for Santa Clara with his, he's up to nine goals now. And I worked out who he reminds me of. He reminds me of Luis Suarez because, you know, he's okay. Sort of play you hate to play against. He's quite niggly. He's probably lucky to be on the pitch for because I feel like he fouled uh, Sergio Oliveira like 10 times and they easily <laughs> two yellows in there. Like I said, one of the players you'd, like to, you'd, you'd hate to play against,
0: but if he's in your team, you absolutely love the guy. Well, Santa Clara, really, really interesting team, Barney, and a team I like. You, we've both been really impressed with them. We've raved about them a couple of times. I think, for a lot of Portuguese football fans' perspectives, they're punching above their weight. I think people didn't expect them to be doing so well. I think people expected them to be in a bit of a relegation battle. They are, of course, on the Azores island, which is miles and miles away from the mainland. They travel thousands of miles by plane every year to fulfil their fixtures and. It was some really really interesting comments by, you have to forgive me, I forget specifically who, but somebody involved in the hierarchy uh, at Santa Clara who was predicting that they will be, in something like five years' time, a regular European challenger in the Portuguese League. So I think there's real ambition with that squad. And I've said this once before in the show, I will say it again, every year in this league we have one team from outside the big four, the big five, who kind of find their way into that European football battle. This year it's Passos, last year it was Rio Ave. And if I was a betting man, my money would be on Santa Clara to be that team next year because they're doing some great work, There's some great players in that squad. The player that uh, stood out for me this game was Lincoln. I mean, he's a player that we've both watched a couple of times and wanted more from. And I think this really was the game where, where he gave a lot. I think they were very unlucky not to get a result. They were very unlucky not to at least get a draw. Uh, And there was one really big discussion point that I saw a lot of polarised opinions on Twitter about afterwards. And that was a corner about 90 seconds before Porto scored. Santa Clara had a corner and threw up, I think, something like eight players into the box. And the counter-attack, I think, was what led to Porto getting their goal. And I'm interested in your opinion. In that sense, do you think it was a foolish thing to do not to be defensive Get the ball in the corner and play for the point, or, as is my opinion, I think they had every right to go for a winner in that situation. And obviously, they missed out on one point in the end. But I think they were playing well enough to justify looking for all three points in this game. And to be fair, to you,
1: when at the beginning of the season, when they looked at the schedule, you know they would have seen this game, and they probably wouldn't have banked on getting any points from this game. And so, you know, as as they grew in confidence throughout the game, I agree with you, man. They, you know. It's what everybody wants. You want people to hmm. go for winners and that, that's exactly what I did. I, was, I thought, yeah. And like you said, Porto go the other end and Tony Martinez gets that literally the last second of the game um, header for, t- for the winner. And I'm so happy for Tony Martinez, man. I, I feel like he's been patient all season. You know, you see him on the bench every game with the team. He's there cheering on cheering more challenging decisions. Uh, it seems positive. And I think I think he had every right in January to push for a loan move away because, you know, arguably Evan Nilsson is that third-choice striker. And I'm sure someone like Cow would have taken him on, on loan. But... Real credit to him, man. Because it'd be interesting to see what Konchalski does against Chelsea if he does decide to go two strikers, and whether to- Tony Martinez is that second striker.
0: Yeah, it will be interesting, and and I think Tony Martinez was was one of a number of good subs that Konchalski made in the game. Obviously, Toremi seems to be in a uh, a bit out of form at the minute, and you know, as you say. Does he bring on a number 10? Does he bring on a replacement striker? He brought on Tony Martinez. He got the goal. He also brought on Corona and Vieira, who for me changed the game. Vieira was one of the best players on the pitch for that 25 minutes or so that he played. Corona was really the one who created the goal for Martinez uh, and created at least one other strong goal-scoring chance after he came on. So I was a little bit disappointed that Luis Diaz didn't quite grab his chance. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I, w- I was a bit of a fan of his, and and, and I'd like to watch him play. At times, he's a he's a very t- he's a very skillful player. He's a very positive player. Someone can make things happen. So he's obviously a bit rusty, having not played an awful lot of minutes so far this season. But look, credit to Quincusel because the subs that he brought on uh, were definitely positive subs. They definitely changed the game, even if perhaps the starting eleven uh, selection wasn't quite spot on. He he recognised the change, and I think some Porto fans will look at this game and think with a little bit of disappointment that perhaps they should be blown away teams like Santa Clara. But for me, I look at this game and go, it was a very hard fought win for Porto and a very successful result, in all honesty.
1: Yeah, just to echo what you said about Fabio Vera, I was really happy with, one that he came on with enough time to sort of change the game like he did, because he hasn't he hasn't been afforded that luxury for quite a long time. This well, he got a few starts at the beginning of the season, but otherwise, you know, he's um he seems to have been dropped out of favour so yeah I was so happy to see him come on I thought his delivery into the box was fantastic just like a bit different from what the wingers were doing before Luis Diaz likes to dribble cut in and try and get into the box himself but Fabio very, you know these deep crosses just, just cause a few problems and yeah good win good win for Porto
0: Well before we round up this week's game chat there's just two more games we're going to touch on Barney I think you want to talk about the Gil Vicente game 2-0 they beat Rio I have a great result for them in the relegation battle and a goal for one of your favourites
1: well uh, with his goal uh, Samuelino by the way um, (laughs) he got the (laughs) second he got the second goal to kill the game and that was like right at the death but I've got to highlight Borokovic for Real because they're 1-0 down it is like the last seconds of the game but Samuelino at the halfway line does this 1-2 and Borokovic just just gave up like didn't track him at all and I just thought it was criminal you know you could still be pushing for a draw I know there's very little time left but you you know you never know how long the referee's gonna add on and I was just I couldn't I don't know if you've seen it please go watch it because it's for me it's absolutely criminal I think you know it's sort of thing you should be dropped for but um yeah I mean it's a great win for Gilbert they, Santé they you know three wins on the bounce now which is brilliant for them a team of that, that quality the, the same thing happened which in the Bovista game which we're going to talk about next but um, Felipe Agosto got sent off for second yellow for kicking the ball away I mean <laughs> I, d- I don't know if the, the refs in this league have seen what happened in the Champions League like oh maybe I didn't realise that was a bookable
0: offence kicking the
1: ball away now they're just going for it I mean I mean, I was gutted for um, Angel Gomez in the Bovista game for this, for doing the same thing it's just they
0: not yeah. deserve it well, let's move on to the Bovista game. Another big win in the relegation battle. We've we've pretty much dedicated all our time this week to the relegation battle because it is just so tight. Uh, two win Bovista one. Angel Gomez and Alba Feles. I've dubbed them the Bovista dream team because to me they are the two star players in that team. They both got in the score sheet. Lovely first goal from Angel Gomez. Showed that quick feet, fancy footwork. Got himself into a great position to score. Alba Felis uh, touched in the second. A good two nil win for them against B-SAD uh, and yeah as we said the relegation battle is heating up so much with nine games left to play teams like CD and SNL could be cut adrift Ferenc could be cut adrift but we thought Famalacal were dead and buried and look what happened to them so who knows what's going to happen this relegation battle could well go right to the very very last game and see. season Right, well, it's that part of the podcast where me and Barney have a bit of a chat about a subject that's been in the news this week and this week is my turn to choose and inspired by an article that we saw from The Independent this week, Carlos Carvalho's innovative tactics are taking Portugal by storm. Now, this is an interesting subject, Barney, because a lot of people anecdotally say that Braga play the best football in Portugal and I think for me, it's a really interesting question about do Braga play the best football in Portugal or surely the team that plays the best football in Portugal is the team at the top of the table? It's a very interesting question. I know you spend a lot of time reading the article, so I'll let you go first with this on Barney. Why don't you tell me tell me your thoughts after reading that? Well, the best thing about it, and uh, I do recommend people read it, it accurately
1: describes Carverhal's tactics, which for me has been so hard to describe and sort of pinpoint down as to what exactly they are. And Carlos tactics, Carver- Talks really well in this, and it's something I didn't realize he'd done. But essentially, he's he's created this new idea, and this started since his move to out um, of last season before, where he sort of said in, that he had offers for bigger clubs, but he wanted to start at this, start something new that no, had never been done before. And the essence of it is that they don't look at other teams' systems. You know, they won't say, "All right, we're going to come up against this team. They're going to play four-three-three or 4 4 It's all about a holistic ideal is where you look for space you know it's about training each individual player to know like oh this defender likes to attack so there's gonna be space and behind there and you know all these little elements i'm gonna read one quote because I, I can already tell that i'm rambling a bit and not making sense because it's so complicated but this is what carl says is the main idea is like this if you look to england and i ask you how manchester city plays, you're understand it's a collective game and an associative of a game. Very good passing. If Liverpool, it's amazing transition, very powerful when they go to goal. In this moment, if you ask someone in Portugal to describe our team, they must say that they're very good with the ball. They're very well organised. They're very good when they lose the ball. They're very good when they win it again. They're very good in the transition. It, my proposal is to try and create a culture where a team is very good in a lot of things. And as soon as I read that, it all made sense to me, Albert, because like I said, I just couldn't pinpoint
0: their particular style all season and and this is why I mean it seems like in modern football we do have this obsession with a footballing style you know everybody wants one for their team everybody wants an identity and without wanting to oversimplify Cavalier's words it seems like he's just saying that he wants Braga's style to be that they are very good at football and it seems like a completely stupid thing to say but it's true when so many teams are trying to do one thing extremely well why can't you just try and have a team that does many things very well and I think it'd be interesting Bonnie to also talk about our perceptions of Carlos Cavalier before this because we obviously know him very well from his time in England and I remember first becoming aware of him when he was at Swansea obviously he went to Sheffield Wednesday before that and it seemed like he was one of a number of foreign managers who was being brought in to work at a lower level club in England because those clubs had as much money as some higher level clubs in Europe. So a lot of these kind of lower standard English teams, maybe the Championship or lower Premiership level, uh, were getting play- managers in who had higher pedigree than the team they are at. Another example for could be uh, Marco Silva, who came into Hull City and did, you know, teams like that before making his way up. So it's interesting now to see him talking about. Going to Rio Ave, I know he's managed big teams in Portugal and going to Rio Ave specifically because he wanted to build a project from the ground up. And now he's having great success with Braga. I wanted to put into statistics some of the success they've had this season. Now, obviously, we're recording this before they play their 25th game in the season against Forens and before Sporting and Benfica play. So the statistics might be slightly different by the time you read this, but hopefully accurate enough to paint an overall picture of their season so far they scored 44 goals this season. That's the third most in the league behind Sporting and Porto. They've conceded 25. That's the joint fifth lowest in the league. Uh, interestingly, they've only drawn two games this whole season, the lowest amount of any team in the whole league, uh, and lost six, which is the highest of the big four, suggesting that they could be in a better position in the league if they would managed to hold on to a couple of draws at points, at some points in the season. That said, Barney, they obviously currently sit fourth in the table. And obviously, if we're going to give them the accolade of playing the best football in Portugal, we need to compare them to those other teams at the top of the table. And I think you were going to make an interesting point about how much simply we enjoy watching the games of Braga compared to watching some of the games of the other top four.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can, off the, off the top of your head, you can just think of a few Porto, Sporting, Benfica games that have been just... Be honest like quite a drab you know like just tight games with 1-0 but generally with Braga it is great to watch and they've beaten every team this season apart from sporting or unbeaten and b but they've got to play b again so they could beat them there and I think that's that's quite a te- like a, a telling fact in this league that the fact that they've beaten everyone and I think the only thing that's disappointed me this season Albert has been their performance in the Europa League and just particularly the Roma game I thought they could have done a bit more and we could have seen a bit more from them but then to be fair they've also had a lot of injuries particularly at the back which is um, you know they've had to deal with and of course the loss of Paulinho
0: Yeah of course I definitely agree with you on the Europa League we were both very disappointed in how badly they played against Roma over two legs and of course you're right they have had defensive injuries so it's been a bit of an up and down season for them I always think going back to what you said about watching the games When it comes to assessing a good team, obviously statistics are so important to articulate why a team is doing well and what they do well. But let's not forget that football is an emotional sport as well. So it's important to balance that out with just how you feel when you watch them, the excitement that they give you, what is the quality of the football on offer when you watch them play. And I think when you watch Braga play, especially with some of the arrivals like Lucas Piazon, who came in in January, and Rosrati, who came in in the summer, some of those players have just contributed so much to the enjoyment of watching Braga play. Are there any other key players that have stood out for you this season? Well, you mentioned Lucas
1: Piazon. I did want to talk about him because it's all good and well Carville having this philosophy he wants to just steal in the team, but he's going to have to get a few of those type of players in. And what surprised me is that Lucas Piazon is one of these players. I, I, you know, I've always, I've only ever known him as a winger, and uh, to be a little blunt, a uh, not that effective winger. You know, if I think of his games he performed at Riviera at the beginning of the season, but now he's with Braga and, and with Carlos Carvalho. It's, you know, he's been playing mainly in the middle. You think of his goal contribution recently. You know, some of the assists he's made, and he's just brought out this. Other sides of Lucas Pearson's game, but to be honest, I never knew he had. And then the other one that's, uh, I think, a prime example is Galano, you know, the left winger, because there's games where he's popping up uh, almost like a left wing back position, and you're like, you're like, what's he doing there? And now it all makes sense because Carl is asked, Is going to, of course, you're going to be asked to defend but sometimes if you're an attacking player but also contribute going forward I think he's contributed very much in terms of goals and assists but it's not necessarily the job that Carlos Carval's asking to do he's asking to be this sort of player who can sort of mould into different systems that Braga ultimately evolved through throughout a game and you can see that you mentioned Mizratti he's been fantastic I think Carval's sort of building that midfield around him and I'm, I'm, what I'm most excited to see Albert is if hopefully he stays with Braga because I'd love to see that if he gets a few more players in, and if I just think they can negotiate strength for strength.
0: Well, we started this section by asking the question, do Braga play the best football in the league? And I think we haven't quite answered it, although we've made a strong case for saying that they play definitely some of the best football in the league. The only caveat, of course, being their position in the table. And that brings me on nicely, Barney, to where do you think they should be aiming to finish in not just the next season, but over the next five seasons? Because we've seen Braga constantly be that fourth best team in Portugal for a long time now and I just wonder Carlos has had a great first season in charge but should we start setting higher standards for that team and start saying to them look right as of next season you are going to start making a serious claim for a top three spot and breaking into that top three because we've had such dominance for these big three teams for such a long time obviously Braga and Sporting have battled it out in more recent history but I just wonder whether Braga should really be putting higher standards on themselves now and start aiming for uh, a top two spot uh, in this league as of next season. You'd like to say it's a possibility, but I think
1: at the end of the day, it could come down to simply the fact that Braga seems to be very good at signing within the league, but ultimately there's going to be a ceiling they hit with the calibre of player that that allows them to bring in. Whereas Benfica, we've seen the amount of money they splash out this season and they had a shaky start and it didn't look like Braga was going to nick into that third spot I feel like the quality of the players they ultimately have is going to push Benfica through to finish above Braga same with Porto Uh, who's going to have great uh, better financials just some of their exploits in the Champions League and arguably sporting as well so what it could come down to Albert, is this philosophy that Carver's Carver has has, and if this innovative way which I've never heard of ever I've never heard of you know not not looking at the teams the way they set up but looking at the spaces I'm, you know I, it still blows my mind a little bit and if that <laughs> if that just come off if he, if he does pull it off and gets in a couple of players who perhaps are able to play the system better you know that that could be the, the defining thing that ultimately does push them through
0: Well that wraps up our conversation about Braga this week and therefore this episode of the show if you've got something to add to the conversation why not get in touch you can get us on Twitter at longballfootball Or you can find us on Gmail at longballfootball at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed listening, you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you use Apple Podcasts to listen to the show. Uh, Or if not, why not recommend it to a friend who you think might enjoy it. We'll be back next week to discuss all next week's Premier League action and, of course, that massive Champions League game between Porto and Chelsea. But that just leads me to say thank you very much for listening to this episode of Longball Football. And we'll be back next week.
1: See you next week.